Security, security, security. Is it about land, sea, or airports? Is it about cyber? Is it about technologies? Or is it about boots on the ground? Join us today as we visit with a security expert in the transportation sector. I'm Chris Joslin, and welcome to Jaws Bites. Well, welcome again, everybody. This is Chris Joslin, your host for another edition of Jaws Bites. And it's sponsored, as always, by iLevelLogistics.com, probably coming across your screen right now, www.ilevellogistics.com, where we are, our goal with curating and aggregating information is to supply more information out there to those that are in the transportation supply chain world and those that aren't to try to bring it into the mainstream, to try to help people understand how we as a industry are connected to all of us. Um, and part of that job today and, and is to kind of continue the conversation around security in general. Last week we talked a lot about cybersecurity with a, a wonderful gentleman, gentleman named Mitch Rosen who gave us some some real good detail on on how things are progressing in the cyber world, how things are looked at and viewed, and how technology is is looking to benefit us going forward, both as an industry and individuals. And uh, this week, we're we're looking more a little bit on the boots on the ground type of thing, uh, talking about our our ports of entry, our borders, um, both land, sea, and air ports, and how security, both taking a look at how it affects the industry in general, where we focus a lot on cargo, but all the tangential things that occur, like drugs, human trafficking, etc., and, and how criminal behavior is viewed. We have the wonderful guest, Lance Franklin, with us. He's an expert in uh, security in the transportation sector and has spent the better part of 30 years in a, a variety of roles, including instructor. Um, both along the border and, and in other aspects, and some of which he can talk about and some of which he can't, which is fine with us, because we're looking overall to kind of get a feel of how this relates to both the industry we're involved in and, again, uh, the public as a whole. So let's welcome aboard and have a nice little conversation with Mr. Lance Franklin. You know, I, I got to thank you for for spending some time with me too, because, you know, one of the interesting things about transportation supply chain in general is that there, and I can tell you, I, I have a lot of consulting clients or that I should say that I consult with. Uh, and I got a couple on retainer. I've got some people that I do projects for things like that. And one of the main subjects that always comes up when we're talking about things is security, but not only in terms of the cargo and in in kind of the tangential things that are that are attached to that, like how their insurance levels will raise if they have too much pilferage, or how their their uh, supply chain gets dis disrupted, or their market presence and in, in perception is changed if if things are pilfered all the time. I deal with a lot of the cross border guys, which you can imagine at the at the border, there's a lot of interesting things that can happen moving cargo to and from, but oh, there's yeah. also international and air freight and all that kind of, there's a huge problem out there in terms of 
cargo theft in general and you know drug trafficking that goes along with that there are videos you can watch on youtube where people are crossing the border and there's all kinds of hidden panels and you know heck there's human trafficking that goes on there's all kinds of things right and but the the thing that i always run into is that i feel like behind all of this there's behavior right there's there's either a cartel or uh, individuals or groups that are coming up with ways to create these situations to gain from them in criminal behavior. And, uh, you know, all I, I, I just got to thank you for coming on today, Lance. And, and because I know that's, that's kind of your specialty. You're a security expert in the transportation sector right. and you spent a, a lot of years kind of analyzing what people do from an historical perspective, but also from a, an immediate perspective. But so maybe you can tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you got into the security field the way you did. Sure. So I started out in working in the retail sector and at the same time going to college. I was actually a mechanical engineering major at San Jose mm -hmm. State. And when 9-11 hit, no, that's not true. When the first Gulf War hit, I decided to join the military, so I joined the Marine Corps. So I dropped out of college, joined the Marine Corps, and I was an MP. I was working out of El Toro in Orange County. Uh, it's funny because I planned on seeing the whole world as a Marine, and they put me in California for four years. <laughs> so it was it was fun being in Orange County, but I didn't get to see any of the world. Are you but, from the uh, Midwest? No, I grew up in San Jose. Oh, it's San Jose. Okay, I got you. Yeah, so then from the Marine Corps, I went to the Border Patrol. I did six years in El Centro area. I Ooh. actually worked at the Calexico Border Patrol Station. So right there, uh, north of Mexicali. You know, I think that's the first time I met you, Lance. I think I was crossing the border, <laughs> and you gave me the side eye and said, who is this guy? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, of course, I didn't have to work at the port. We worked in between the ports. Uh, that was an exciting job. I mean, it was referred to as the Wild West out there because when you get out into the East Desert, it's just you. Now, was that was that the the original uh, cross border there, or was that the new port of entry that you were no, the new, affiliated? The with? new port of entry didn't come in until probably I don't know 2005 ish, somewhere around yeah, there, that early 2000s. Right, yeah. So we just had the one port of entry in town mm -hmm. and uh, east of that, there was nothing. Maybe for about a mile and a half, there was some housing, a couple of mm -hmm. farms. And mm -hmm. then you go further out and there's the bigger farms that are, you know, hundreds of acres, thousands of acres. And then they right. added the port a few years in to uh, my job. So I was doing that for six years. Uh, teaching at the academy a couple of times. And the second time I was teaching at the academy is when 9-11 hit. I was teaching my uh, my class and my manager came in and told me that one of the towers was just hit. So we had a, a recreation room where we had a TV. So I went in there and then I had a couple of students keep an eye on the news feed. So they got to, uh, they didn't get to. Unfortunately, they were in the room when the second tower was hit by a plane. They came back and told me about it. So at that time, I decided uh, I needed to take my my talents elsewhere, and that's mm -hmm. when I got involved in the the field that I'm in now. So yeah. I've been doing this since April of 2002. 
and uh, getting ready to finish. I've, I've yeah. been in federal law enforcement for over 25 years. Wow. So trying to find something else uh, at this point. Well, I, I, I'll tell you, I certainly respect your service. I really do. And, and these, it's funny, these different elements that you're talking about that you've gone through are, I, I don't think people in general have a real understanding of how important those things are. I mean, there, you know, our country is framed by borders, whether some people don't want to talk about those or not is beside the point. They're framed by borders and those, those are all determined by ports of entry or exit, right? And those are land, sea, and air. And the, to protect our country the way we need to, we have to have people like yourself kind of watching it. And, uh, you know, these days we could talk, we could go into political stuff. We won't do that. That's not what this podcast is for, but we could talk a lot about, uh, you know, how things are viewed and why they're viewed that way and all that kind of stuff. But at, at the end of the day, the result is, is that there are criminal behaviors that occur, whether we're talking about terrorism or not is, is kind of part of the consequence of this, but you, the criminal behaviors are there. And we have to have people that understand intelligently how to look at what's happened in the past and kind of predetermine where they think the the soft points are in our infrastructure. Right. And people like yourselves are there to try to fill those holes or at least put their thumb in the dike, right, to, to, to make sure things don't flood out. And I, I had heard, I read some statistics somewhere that the the ratio of people like yourselves that are those protective elements around these ports is very, very tiny percentage of probably what's really needed. Oh, of course. But isn't it, isn't it a deterrent kind of thing that, that really is, is part of the essence. If, if criminals do not know how many people are chasing them along the border or how many people are trying to fill this gap, then that's part of the, you know, the way we can stop things from happening. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a game of cat and mouse and, if you act like you have more cats than you actually do, the mouse seemed to want to find another direction to go. Uh, you were talking about you work a lot with trains and supply chains that come across the border. I don't know if you know about this one. It's kind of an interesting uh, history about train transportation, but there's only a few companies that actually transport vehicles across country using trains, and they seem to be all the high-end companies. One of them is Rolls-Royce. Mm -hmm. So people don't realize that these trains that are going across country, they're carrying hundreds of millions of inventory and Rolls Royces in them. Well, what had happened in the beginning that uh, Rolls Royce was transported is their, their cars were being broken into by smugglers. And they would put their um, illegal aliens in with them. We call them right. now undocumented migrant workers, but right. they would smuggle them through the car in the here, cars in the cars because what would happen is they would put all the car keys in the very front car inside the inside the carrier uh -huh. so they would take the keys they'd start up the rolls royce get the heater nice and warm so they were able to sleep inside you know a three hundred thousand dollar car to go across country so Holy what man. what the car industry had to do is they had to redesign these car carriers so that they only had a one-way valve, basically. So if someone got into the car, they could get out. But the only way to get in was using a key to open up the, the actual door. Because before, gotcha. they would just break in and, and 
run all the gas out and ruin the cars before they even got delivered. Wow. I had, I had never heard that before. Now I've seen some of the car carrier rail, the specialized rail cars that have platforms where they, you know, they're, they're a little higher than the normal car and you can fit exactly. two cars on kind of top of each other. Right. But so I'd never heard that. Before. Top of that car, there's a kind of a gate at the very mm-hmm. top on the, on each end of it. And it only allows someone to exit it. You can't go in through it. Wow. Yeah. Another interesting, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Another interesting thing about, um, railroad security and operations is we used to work in the border patrol with a lot of the, um, back then it was, who was the company that ran the rail? Well, Amtrak has their own security well, element. They have their own police department. Yeah. So they mm-hmm. travel all across the country and there's, there's not a lot of those guys. So they right. work out of Chicago, out of the Bay Area, LA, just the major cities. But you have a one guy that works out of Chicago, he may take a team with him and they have to go work Southern California for a few weeks or a few months. So we end up working with them and the Chicago guys would tell us that the Chicago rail yard has a robbery every minute of the day, all day long. Oh man, I, I will, I, I've had, uh more than my fair share of, of things that have occurred during my career of so so you know i i've been involved in many different aspects of supply chain and transportation but when i started out i was with an intermodal marketing company which primarily had contracts with the various railroads and moved you know shipments cross country through a lot of the class ones and i can tell you and i've got a ton of stories i'm, I'm sure you do as well but they, I had the worst ones happen right around the holidays when the rail terminals were at short staff and there would be a gang of criminals come in. Actually, I think it was the, it was either the CP or the CN railroad terminal in Chicago. You mentioned Chicago. That's what brought it to mind for me. Right. And I had, I had four of my containers broken into on, it was either Thanksgiving or Christmas Eve, one or the other that were headed to Canada all full of flat screen TVs. Oh no. Oh, uh, you can, yeah. It's like, oh, and you, when you said Rolls Royce, I went, oh my God, I can, I thought you were going to go into something about stealing Rolls Royces. And I'm like, oh my God, how much are those cars each? How many cars? Because the, the railroads usually stop their, their insurance at about $250,000. So these things are insured by the Rolls Royce company, of course. Right. But the, the thing that's interesting about that story you told is that, that that's what a lot of people don't realize. Everybody focuses on the cargo being lost. Well, it's not just that it's all the other elements of this, whether it's, you know, uh, person, uh, people coming across the border, as you mentioned, undocumented migrants, or whether it's drugs or any kind of other human trafficking that goes on entirely. These are all part of that transportation sector. And part of what happens is there might not be any pilferage of the cargo going on, but there might be transport, uh, with those people or with that cargo to parts unknown all across the country. Yeah. And I, you know, I, there's no entirely stopping it, but having people in place that can see, as I was talking about before the behavior going on, I, and I would imagine, so you were both in border patrol, but you were also a teacher for newbies coming on board. It sounds like. Right. So I, I got to imagine, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you can let me share this a little bit, but I got to imagine there was a lot of focus on kind of looking at what people's behaviors are like to try to indicate 
you know, I hate to use the term because everything's not politically correct these days, but it's profiling, right? right. You got to be able to profile correctly. Certainly there's, there's the, the, the side of, of looking at where people are coming from, but there's also, there's got to be behavior elements that you notice in transportation sector that these people are probably more likely to do something than not. Oh, of course. You know, when we talk about the small numbers of people that are covering such a wide swath of area or mm-hmm. within the transportation sector, all the things that they have to cover. If you were to spend your time looking at each individual person and saying, I have to look at him just like I look at everyone else, it'd be a waste of time. You'd have to have, mm-hmm. you know, millions of people doing the job that all of us do to keep everything mm-hmm. safe. We just don't have that type of manpower. So right. you try to compartmentalize and there is profiling, you know, it's, it's, maybe not politically correct to say so, but we can't have the, we don't have the time or the resources. Just efficiency, right? It's yeah, got, exactly. you gotta be efficient. Yeah. So if people are showing indicators, whether it's their behavior or their dress or, um, where they're coming from, mm-hmm. those all have to be taken into account. Now, legally you can't use someone's background or ethnicity, the religious aspect, any of that into making an arrest, mm-hmm. but it all comes into play as part of a bigger picture when you are making a profile of somebody. Yeah. Well, I, I'd imagine if you're going to be, fo- if you have a crowd of a hundred people and, and you've got to scan those people, you and a, a couple other people, whether it's a maritime thing or a, a, an air thing or a, a railroad thing, whatever, or border patrol, you've got a hundred people and you're scanning them. You're looking for different things that can cue you in because again, right. you can't interview a hundred people. You, right. you can't do all that. You've got to see what's happening in front of you and go, okay, those five right there. And it's because they're dressed a certain way. It's because they're, they came from a, they, they came through this port there, but their place of origin was X and they're, they're being very furtive about things and whatever, whatever the case may be. Cause, cause otherwise you're going it, to, it's, it's like going uh, on a plane, of course, you know, everybody's been through the TSA scanner and everything and you can debate whether we all should be x-rayed every damn time we go through those things or not. But the, the fact is, is everybody points at the time when, when grandma is pulled aside and patted down. And I always looked at that and go, they know better than that, but they're trying to make sure they're, they're, they're have a few people that they pull out and do for political correctness, really. Right. More it's than anything supposed else. to show a randomness in the screening process. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But it's, but I would imagine behind the curtain, it's truly not that random. It's, it's pointed, it's focused at something. Otherwise you guys are just spinning your wheels and wasting time, whether, whether it's, you know, at one of the borders or the airports or the, you know, the ports of entry, the seaports of entry are are a place that is really getting bad, you know, because I I know that I've, I've read some things about how, especially during this pandemic, you know, it's a lot of people that were human couriers for things have been pushed off to the side because of the lack of air transport and things that are going on. And a lot of things have gone to whether it's package air freight packages or container ship containers coming across. I mean, that, that whole thing in the Suez canal that you've, I'm sure heard of that and never ever given that got stuck over there a while back, that thing's still in bitter Lake sitting there being investigated because they're find They find so much, drugs and human trafficking and stuff going on there that's incredible yeah. so 
you know, I, I don't know where we go with all this, but uh, um, it's it's fun for me to hear a little bit about this from a perspective, from an insider's perspective. And you know, now, when you were at the border, in, and you were there for how long in, in Calexico? Six years. Six years. So, you know, in th- that border was probably not as active in some ways as the San Ysidro or the, the Otay Mesa border crossings. But in so other ways, a lot of people were all supply chain going through there. I'm sure Otay Mesa was a lot bigger. But as right, far but as, tr- as, far humans, as humans during my to... time there, we had so many people going through trying to cross the border because we we're lower staffed than the San Diego area. So they're basically pushing everything out east to us. Mm-hmm. So we had so few people for how many people were trying to cross the border. We were the busiest sector per manpower anywhere in the country. Wow, that's so fantastic. Started that's shipping, crazy. Yeah, they would actually detail agents to our sector to help uh-huh. us with the overflow. <laughs> well, and, and I know that there was so much focus in San Ysidro and Otay that I'm sure a lot of stuff is kind of just continually pushed east, right? You know, if, if I'm, a, I guess if I'm a criminal over on that side of the border, I'll try to go where I think there's less people. Exactly. And your job is to try to anticipate all that, I would imagine, right? Right. And, you know, deploy forces in a way that deters them from crossing. But when you've got 40 miles of desert, you can't, you can't put a, a guy every 100 yards and expect to keep him back. You just don't have the manpower to do it. So that brings me to kind of one of the things I wonder about, because everybody talks about walls and fences and things like that. And, you know, I, I've known enough about cargo and geofencing and RFID technology and things like that to to know that there's a lot of stuff that goes on that I'm not familiar with that probably creates a virtual wall, virtual fencing. For And, and I'm, I'm not talking just along the border. I'm talking about at our ports, how they bring ships in, how they determine to randomly scan, uh, scan and open cargo containers, how the airports look at things and, and there are cameras everywhere these days, of course. So the facial recognition, there's a lot of technologies coming into place. And oftentimes I thought, I think, okay, is that going to replace some of our border patrols? Is it going to replace some of our people in the air? Is it going to replace some people at the ports? And then I think, I hope not because we don't have enough of those people to begin with. But right. where, where do you see technology going? Where do you see that applied? In your field yeah it definitely is one of the aspects that makes the the work of the people working at the ports and in between the ports easier mm-hmm. it's not going to replace them because you have to have boots on the ground to make an arrest to deter them from coming mm-hmm. because you've seen on tv they'll still send entire groups through an area that's covered by cameras and security features but if there's no one there to stop them and pick them up not going to stop them just by seeing them by observing them right so there has to be multiple layers of of deterrence and the ability to stop them you know the fence is one of them we've had fences the entire time you know they've gotten bigger and stronger but there's always ways to defeat a fence if you don't have anybody there protecting the fence if you have you know an area out in the desert that has the greatest fence ever built but no one's there to protect it They'll find a way to dig under it, to right. cut through it with some type of torch to break it down. 
right eventually get through then you have to repair it and it's the same cat and mouse game that i was talking about earlier now did you did you ever run when you were out at at the uh the calexico mexicali board did you ever run into the tunnel systems out there or was that was that soil not appropriate for that no the tunnel systems had been going on for years and years under under our noses literally Mm -hmm. Uh, because what they do is they'll tunnel and they'll come up in like a, a warehouse or even someone's house and you have no idea as long as they're not being overly active using that tunnel where if you saw you know 100 people come out of the house obviously that's right. a red flag but if you have it in a warehouse where there's lots of activity going on that would be a great way to do it so we didn't discover them uh until after i left they started coming up one by one you know you start using the, the devices we're talking about to help the agents. Well, one of them, they're using the ground penetrating radar that the military was using. And that made it a lot easier to discover these tunnels. So that's when they started uh, popping up and finding out how, how detailed and technical these tunnels were. I remember I, I've been involved in transportation along the border since 92, I guess. I'm dating myself too, (laughs) but, but, uh, I remember when the planes, I first started seeing the planes with the, the funky round radar on top of them going, going, uh, down the border there all the time. And, and I would imagine that had something to do with the ground penetrating radar, uh, as well. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, when you have physical barriers, they're, they're appropriate and they, they are a deterrent, but there are ways to defeat that. And so it's always been a combination, in my mind, it's always been necessary to have a combination between boots on the ground, technologies that can take a look at things, but also retroactively to look at what has happened. Because a lot of the stuff you probably don't catch at the border or didn't catch at the border or at the ports, et cetera, ends up in Chicago or Detroit or L.A. or wherever. Right. And once things are determined, there's there's got to be a approach from law enforcement from your side of the field that tries to connect the dots back to origin. And I, I don't know if you were in the investigative side of that or you were in the deterrent side of that or co- probably both. If you were a teacher, you probably understood and, and learned and were part of all of those things. The investigation side is a very specialized group of, of men and women mm-hmm. that are operating you know, under the radar, plain clothes. I won't mm-hmm. talk about what their units call it or who sure. they are or whatnot, but... And they have ties with other agencies. There has to be a lot of cooperative activity between the different agencies. You have, you know, Asians down in in other countries that are feeding intel to the U.S. that are just as crucial as every mm-hmm. other part of the of the the chain. Right. So those guys are developing intel, watching trends, using whatever tools they have to feed the agents that are working along the border. Mm-hmm. So you have to have that type of cooperation, and it's it's been tough because agencies depend on their budget in order to have sure. operations run. So if you have one agency providing all the intel and the other agency is receiving all the benefit because they're catching the drugs or the counterfeit goods or stopping the human trafficking aspect, obviously the, the agency that's getting all the headlines is going to get more money. Yeah. So what's the incentive for one agency to provide all the intel to another agency if they're not going to get the benefits of it? 
that was the mindset for years and years and years until 9-11 happened. And then that's gotcha. when they realized we have to cooperate with each other. So are, are most of these things now under under Homeland Security in general? I mean, is that the umbrella for most of the different agencies you're talking about so that there's proper collaboration? I wouldn't say all of them. I'd say a good portion of them. But you have – and there's been a whole shift in how agencies – what ha, what entity is under what agency. Sure. But you still have, you know, Department of Defense is just as big in all of that aspect as Department of Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. So they're all having to reshuffle, and, and they've been doing a lot better since 9-11, reallocating assets, cooperating with each other. There's obviously a lot of improvements still to make, but – yeah. Well, inter, interagency cooperation is, I mean, you know, all the all the Monday morning quarterbacks, anytime something hugely negative happens, we'll, we'll look at that and point to that and say, oh, they, they knew about it over here, but they didn't tell them over here. And, you know, to a degree, I'm sure that was correct over the years and, right. and still has some influence in things because you can't have, you know, so many thousands of people involved in different aspects of this and, and figure all the communication is going to tie in so that you can discover things ahead of time. The thing that always, that I always think about when I'm, when I'm, uh, uh, analyzing this stuff is how many things have we stopped, right? And there's, there's probably internal data that's never shared with anybody in public that says, Hey, yeah, we, we didn't get that one. And that's horrible. And we got a black eye for that. But you know what? We did this, 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 and this. We stopped all this stuff because I could I could go on the internet today and look up stats on drugs costs crossing the border, or human trafficking, or stuff that happens with the airlines or the steamship lines or whatever the case may be. And all I'm going to see is what was caught. Right. And and the, but the estimates got to be only a small percentage of actually what gets through, right? Oh, of course. You figure that if they were unsuccessful because we were catching everything, they would they stop be doing it anymore. <laughs> exactly. But it's not the case. It's it's increased if anything else. So they're yeah. they're very successful and they're they're just playing a numbers game. If they're making, you know, a thousand shipments of whatever illegal product they have and we mm-hmm. catch whatever percentage, as long as they're making more than what's being caught, mm-hmm. it's still profitable to them. It's still so worth it for them. They're still going to keep doing it. Yeah, they're simply yeah. looking at their business plan and saying, well, yeah, we get caught this amount of time, but they can't figure it out and we can go this way. And yeah, I, I hear you. That's why you, when you started this conversation, you said it's such a cat and mouse game. And I think that's probably the most accurate way to put this thing because that's what it is. And and from your perspective, though, there's there's a lot going on now. And sometimes I look at it and I think it's a layer that's put in just to create a new way to, to earn money for groups of people that are trying to regulate. But there, there's manufacturers, there's shippers, there's uh, receivers, there's retailers, there's coordinators, there's all these different people that have to go through some sort of certification, some sort of, you know, CTPAT, for instance, things like that, that, that are requirements to get into the fast lane versus the slow lane crossing a border or getting into the country or getting through TSA. TSA PreCheck is a great example. There's, uh, you know, I, I think I spent 85 bucks or something like that to go right. through that. I, I had Century going across the border for years and years and years, and you had to have an FBI check and, and you know, that kind of thing. Right. And all those things. Put you program in. for air transportation, yeah. yeah. 
It, glo is pre-check part of that, or is that totally different to global entry? It's a separate, separate, it's a separate uh, program. Product, yeah. yeah. Well, all these layers are interesting to me, but I, I feel like sometimes that they're band-aids, you know, in, in that, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I've been kind of up on the air in this because I'm like everybody else. When I get to an airport, I'm like, oh, really? It's going to, should I drive up to Sacramento instead of get on a plane? You know what I mean? Right. Um, but then I go, you know what though? 9-11 really changed everything. It yes. really did in our lifetimes. And, and I remember it, you know, you were saying where you were at, I think everybody, certainly of our age, it's, it's that thing in our lives where we all know exactly where we were at and what we were doing when that occurred. And, but I feel like these days there needs to be a new, I don't know, focus on this type of security because I, it's not if it's when, right? I mean, right. That, that's what I think. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, you've seen a lot, probably more than you're, I'm sure more than you'll ever be able to share. And, uh, you know, that kind of sucks because it's, it's nice to be able to get some of that stuff out once in a while, but, right. we'll um, have to talk again in 20 years when the freedom of information act kicks in and we can share. Ex exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what, that's, I know you're saying that, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, but I, I'm telling you there's. The general population, or even even the the world that I live in, the general transportation logistics population, focuses on what's important to their business at hand. You know, does their flat screen TV get to where it's supposed to get without being in the back of somebody's truck selling in a, in a back alley somewhere? Right. And they do an analysis just like these criminals do. Well, I can put up with so many of them stolen. But there's so many layers of this criminality. It's not just about the stolen TV. It's about, you know, utilizing people from other countries that are, you know, you can make the argument they're looking to better their lives by being here. You can make the argument that they're a bunch of gang members that are trying to do things here. And in, in the realities that are always somewhere in between, right? But there's all kinds of drug and human trafficking and cargo and theft. And there's just so many, so much going on. And I feel like it's, I don't know, Lance, I feel like people don't want to talk about it. It's, it's like kind of a dirty secret or something that, that everybody keeps on the, on the down low, you know, well, it's not, it's not sexy right now, you know, maybe uh, that's it. Human smuggling, human trafficking is a major problem these days. And that's being talked about, but not enough. Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as the transportation sector where there's theft and illegal product, it very rarely gets a headline unless it's a massive endeavor. Right. Or something where, you know, the latest iPad came out and they're sending con counterfeit ones through because that makes the headlines, you know? Mm -hmm. So if it's not huge or is trending right now, you're not going to see it, even though yeah. it's, it's bigger than ever. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because all we can do really is, is keep trying to refine these different things that we've put together to try to, um, you know, deter this stuff. That's, that's all we can really do. Um, and, but we need more people like yourself to do it. So, right. but I mean, you sound like you're on the, on the, 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 the back end of, of what you're trying to do within this kind of context. So where do you see overall 
you know, pick, pick one of them. I don't care if it's air or maritime or railroad or border or whatever. Where do you see things going right now? For, forget the political environment. Those things change every few years anyway. Right. Um, but where do you see things going? Well, you, you say forget about the political environment, but I know, I know you can't, right? <laughs> the hugest driver of the engine for for change. If human trafficking isn't in the top five interests of whatever political arena we're talking about, they're not going to put more funds and more manpower towards that. Now, if it is within the top five or top three, then you are going to see changes, and they could be drastic and they could be effective. But if it's not in their in their purview, they're not going to do it. But definitely technology is going to be the biggest driver of change. And uh, it's funny because my son is actually attending college right now, and he's studying cognitive science, which has an AI aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, his he's going to go into the UX and the UI side of it. But mm-hmm. AI-driven technology is going to be one of the biggest factors for change in how we tackle this issue right you have something that can do billions of computations in the in the time it takes somebody to think of one thought that's going to be a huge help in how we can allocate resources and manpower and and money towards one particular sector at a time mm-hmm. that's what i see yeah. as the change of it usually yeah, i think i think you're right and you know if the government steps in and, and affects change that's great but if it be if it's down to money, you know, someone who's looking for a uh, return on investment, and they realize I have to put more money into this technology to prevent loss, that's where you're going to see the change come from. The bottom line yeah. is is how it affects someone's uh, profit margin. Right, right, and you know the it, it's hard because you can you can look at these these problems we're talking about simply from the human standpoint, right? And the effects on both the people in the United States and other countries and, and you know, how we, how we manage the, the negatives around this, whether we're talking about cargo, human trafficking, drugs, whatever. Um, but I think one of the things that's always lost, and you touched on it just now with when you were talking about budgets and behavior from the, the politicians and who gets money and all that, it all comes down to economics. It, it tends to. I, I hate to do that, but it comes down to data points. And if that's the way that these decisions are made, whether it's from the criminal side or from the, the protective side, if data points are the way these these things are determined, then uh, people like your son who are studying you know, that type of research, that cognitive um, interface or uh, trying to look at people in a way that brings it down to quick decision-making calculations, then that's probably the first layer. Because you're always going to, as you said earlier, you're going to have to have the boots on the ground to enforce whatever we come up with. But we have to have better tools to analyze what's going on. And that's where these technologies are going. You know, hopefully the the free market enables us to make some of that happen, because I, I as far as the politicians are concerned, they're it, it changes with the wind, right? And and uh, but I I think part of it, and one of the things I'm trying to do with this today is just to put a point on this. You know, we're we're just a a, a small podcast at this part at this point, but we're trying to get information out, and we're trying, as I always say during this podcast, to kind of mainstream supply chain, transportation, logistics issues, because they touch all of us. 
And one of the biggest things that touch us is the the amount of of um, not theft, that's the wrong thing, but the amount of criminal behavior that is throughout the entire transportation uh, network, if you will. And the only way to address those kind of things is to get the word out because the more word that gets out, you know, maybe things become sexy again, right? As you, right. as you stated. So yeah. that's, that's kind of where we're at with this. Um, but I, I don't know, uh, as far as, a, but as far as one of those elements I was talking about earlier, whether it's land, sea or air, what, what is, if you called yourself an expert in one of the, cause you're a security expert, obviously in, in all these arenas, but which one do you find is got the most holes in it right now and, and needs the most attention? That's an interesting question. With the shutdown of a lot of the commerce coming from Asia, the shipping industry is having a huge problem with not only logistics, but security issues, getting those products into the country is a major, major problem. If you look outside of the Long Beach port of entry, you'll see ships stacked up all out in the ocean. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. incredible. And you talked about how getting the word out is so important to make the transportation sector sexy again. Uh, right. Look at look at how our prices have, have skyrocketed. Oh. Anyone who's looking to build a house right now, all their materials are tripled. You know the cost of wood, and that's not to say that it's related to security issues, but that whole supply chain is being affected from every aspect, from COVID, from mm-hmm. transportation issues through customs from lack of personnel to make the transport happen. You, you probably see it all over the place. Oh yeah. Not enough truck driver, it's not enough ship stevedores or whatever they call them now. Uh, mm-hmm. Not enough pilots um, in, in every mm-hmm. part of that fast. You know, you have to have supply personnel. You have to have support personnel. You have to have medical personnel. We have a shortage of, of medical personnel too. So it's all affecting that entire chain. And you're right. mentioning the free market's got to be the, involved in the solution of this problem. And I believe that's that's correct. Until you have people who are willing to put the investment back in and be part of this, that's that's going to be what drives the re, you know recovery of the supply chain again. Right. And, and of course, that comes back to where we were a few minutes ago. It, it's only going to, the free markets will come in only when it's either creates more efficiencies or more profitability in some manner for those free markets, which is fine with me. I have no problem with that if it gets us to a better place. But yeah. the amazing thing about what you talk about is the shortages, not just in raw materials, wood supplies, chemicals, all that kind of stuff. It all ties together with these issues, right. because if you put a bunch of restrictions in place, whether it's for pandemic or whether it's for security issues, whatever the case may be, everything slows down. And I always tell people this, there's a virtual element to almost everything we talk about, whether it's truck drivers or whether it's shipping containers or whether it's, I mean, any of these economic components, if you're running fairly smoothly and you consider that the benchmark, that's the hundred percent and you slow everything down by 10%, well, you've lost a huge amount of physical capability by slowing everything down because everything has a time element to it. You know, I, you know, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things in the transportation world where the drivers have restrictions on how many hours of service they can do during the day, that kind of thing. So when you say there's a driver shortage only because the restrictions and the elements in place required for safety 
in all that kind of thing, which is important. There's no doubt about that. And don't, don't get me wrong with that. But all of that slows down the number of people that are actually driving. That doesn't mean there's less drivers. That just means they can't do as much as they used to. So I think technology is, is truly the answer. I really do. And, you know, I, I want to, want to let you have kind of the last word on this. I mean, you, if you, you know, back through your history and, and I, I'm kind of bummed because I wanted to get a few more stories out of you and we went down this trail, but I'm, I'm pretty sure if, if you, if you're open to it, I'll have you back on for maybe a storytelling <laughs> day. Yeah. But if, if you were to look at your history in, in the security industry that you've been in and what is out of those, I mean, we've talked about kind of three things, the, the cargo, the human trafficking and the drugs, and they're all super important, but what's the one that jumps out at you as having the most potential for, uh, you know, harm. I mean, they all are harmful, but right. so which do you look at? I have a perspective that the nexus of terrorism is always my main focus. And people have a short memory. 9-11 may have been, you know, 20 plus years ago, but it's not in the back of their minds, not in the back of the, of the bad operators' minds. Anytime they can disrupt the transportation sector and airlines are one of their main focuses because that's what makes headlines. The, the object of terrorism is to cause as much turmoil to as many people to cause fear and terror in them. That's, that's where the word terrorism comes from. You know, they're trying to affect terror within a populace. Right. So when they can attack an aircraft and kill a bunch of people, that makes headlines that that helps their cause. So my my thought is that the airline industry is my focus and what should be focused upon because they're still trying. They're trying all the time to infiltrate and uh, and cause harm. So I think that should be definitely uh, the focus yeah. point of, of a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's a really good point. I, and I think you've made it a couple of times during the last half hour. It, you know, part of this is really about kind of perception, right? It's how I, I think we use the word sexy a couple of times and no terrorism is sexy, but it grabs headlines and right. certainly planes and what happens to them through terrorist elements grab the headlines before any, hell a, a, a you know, uh, a person on a plane being disruptive grabs more headlines than a million dollar cocaine nab at the border. So right. that's the, I mean, that's the perfect example. So right. I, I agree with you. I really do. But o overall, I, I think that more and more focus needs to be put on. It, it's so hard to say stopping these things, but mitigating maybe is a better, better term. And I, I, again, I can't thank you enough, Lance, for coming on today and spending a few minutes and, and, you know, sharing some of your expertise with, with the, the audience there. And, um, I really look forward to the next opportunity to do so. Definitely. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Definitely have some stories to, to share with you. I'd be happy yeah. to do that. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Lance. And thank we'll you, be talking to you real soon. Thank you. Yeah.
Hey, again, I wanted to thank real quickly Lance for being aboard with us today and sharing some, uh, some of his experiences and some of his expertise with us as we try to delve into this subject more and more because it's very important to the entire industry as a whole. And it, it affects the bottom line for companies. It affects the, the intermediaries for any of the modalities of transportation that are out there. And it certainly affects the overall cost of doing business because it all ends up coming down to insuring properly and covering and, and looking at how to protect oneself from the variety of criminal behaviors that are out there and, and an understanding of how deep some of these behaviors actually are and, and how much actually occurs on all these different you know, ports of entry and borders and, and uh, cargo lanes and modalities is, is, is kind of real important. So again, I wanted to thank Lance very much. I wanted to encourage everyone out there, as always, to go to our YouTube channel, subscribe, be a part of the community, be, be an, an advocate for your own business and for the idea of bringing supply chain and logistics really out of the shadows and into the mainstream and where it belongs in making people understand the importance of these things and how these elements apply to our lives and how the costs of them filter down to every single one of us. So you can, you can listen to us on any one of your podcast platforms that you're used to, Apple, Podcasts, Spotify, etc. You can watch us on YouTube and again, subscribe, join the, join the conversation, comment, do whatever you like. That's what we're open to. That's what we're looking for. And that's, that's how we want to make things uh, proceed ahead for all of us. So again, thank you very much for joining and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.